everybody welcome to the newest episode of rise to liberty podcast my name is jake and i will be your host i'm going to cover one of the most fundamental rights that we have as americans and i would argue it's probably the most important even outside of our country it is the most important and we are lucky enough to have it in this country i'm talking about of course the first amendment the first amendment to the United States Constitution prevents the government from making laws which regulate an establishment of religion or that would prohibit the free exercise of religion or abridge the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, the freedom of assembly, or the right to petition the government for redress of grievances. Now, I'm going to take a second and... Let's see, let me pull this up real quick. Internet's moving just a little bit slow. Okay, I am going to read the First Amendment as it is written in the Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So why exactly is the First Amendment the most important? Well, not only were we born with the right to free speech, but if you remember from episode one, I went over why speech itself is so important what it allows us to be able to do. Words are how we distinguish one thing from another, and it's how we make sense of our reality. It's how we define our reality. It's also how we navigate through the future and be able to progress through life. If you think something, you should be able To say something, and you should be able to say that without the fear of being imprisoned or being persecuted by the state for your thought, for your words. Now, it is true that some people have said some things, some very terrible things. People say terrible things all the time. You probably got offended by what they said, or maybe you didn't, but you knew that it was something. Maybe they shouldn't have said. What do some people call that? I think you know. It's maybe you don't. But they call it hate speech. Is it hateful? Yeah. Some things I would definitely call hateful. They they are hateful terms, hateful words. Some things are just downright heinous. 
I can't think of another word for it than that. But here's the thing about free speech. No matter what, even if you get offended by it, they have the right to say it. Beyond directly calling for violence, which is illegal, beyond that, everybody has the right to speak, regardless of if you like it or not. Racist, bigots, even the small handful of actual neo-Nazis that still exist, everybody has the right to speak. Now, the biggest issue with hate speech is hate that's a really open-ended word. Who decides on exactly what is hateful? Hateful to whom? Hateful to what? Who is the arbiter of that decision? Most likely somebody who will be drawn to the ability to censor someone's speech will be somebody with nefarious purpose. I can't see why anybody else without wanting the ability to manipulate people, would actually be drawn to that type of power. Typically, I hear the argument that it's my right to not be offended. I would like you to really go back and relearn the meaning of the word rights. Because in our Constitution, the Bill of Rights, natural rights that you were born with, Nowhere is there anything that gives you the ability to not be offended. You're going to get offended. That's just the way it is. And it doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't mean that you have to be okay with it. But what you do have to be okay with is that the person that offended you has the exact same right that you do to be able to say that. You can get mad and say something back to them. That's what it is. But you can't stop that person from saying what it is that offended you in the first place. Follow along with me, if you will. We're going to perform a little thought experiment. Imagine if you are talking one-on-one -on -one to somebody. It seems pretty easy to be able to not offend one person. But what if you end up getting into a group of people? It seems a little less likely that you could not offend everybody. The larger the group, more likely it is that you will offend somebody. Obviously, you would be pretty upset that if your speech, regardless of what it is, was the speech that was deemed hateful, what are you going to do then? You offended somebody. They have a right to not be offended. Your speech was deemed hateful, so you have now got to be punished for your hate speech. And that's going to come at the hands of the state, the law enforcement. Let's take this simple example. In the United States, we are able to criticize our leaders. In many countries all over the world, people are unable to criticize their leaders. Let's just say you who are listening to this, you like to criticize Trump. Okay. Well, imagine a country where it would be illegal for you to be able to criticize Trump. Let's look at the other side. 
And if you'd like to criticize Biden, imagine that world where it's illegal to criticize Biden. Either side that you're on, it is illegal. And when you do criticize the leader, then men with guns come to your home to either find you, but most likely they're coming to take you away to put you into a cage. This is the ultimate problem with defining hate speech. Who gets to define it? Because when somebody is given that power to be able to define what hate speech is, there are laws put onto the books that mean people will end up breaking those laws and that law will be enforced. Those people will be punished. That issue really does come down to, are you actually willing to put that power into the hands of somebody? For argument's sake, let's say the very first person who has the power to be able to define hate speech does it correctly to where a vast, vast majority of society agrees upon what they decide. Well, that person will eventually leave their position. Somebody else will come in. What about that person? Maybe he's not so righteous or moral next time. Odds are, the first person with this power is not going to be righteous and moral. There's going to be one thing that's deemed hate speech, and then two things, three things, four, and it keeps going. Speech starts with thought. So if you can't say certain things, then you can't think certain things. If you can't think, then you're unable to negotiate your way through the future. You are unable to differentiate between things. You are unable to communicate and really get anywhere in life. You become a mindless robot who does what they're told. You live in constant fear of upsetting the powers that be that decide what you can and cannot say. So, unfortunately, there are going to be people that say things that you don't like, but freedom of speech is offense. It is being offended. That brings me to this video clip that I would like to play. It is from Larry Flint, and if you don't know who that is, he was the creator of Hustler magazine. Now, personally, in my opinion, I am not I am not a fan of pornography. However, I do believe in the right of consenting adults to be able to do what they want. And if they want to be able to consume pornography, they should have the ability to do so. So this is what Larry Flint has to say about free speech. It was an interracial photo feature that we had in the July 76 issue. And he was a, a white supremacist that was just offended to no end. You know, we would have a black man and a white woman in a photo feature. Free speech is only important if it's offensive. If you're not going to offend anybody, you don't need protection of the First Amendment. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is the first 200 years of the history of this country, parody and uh, a satire was not protected speech. And it's only when I won the court case uh, with the Reverend Jerry Falwell in uh, 1988 
that satire and parody became protected speech. In case you didn't know, he was actually brought in front of Congress to be able to defend his right to be able to sell Hustler magazine. He eventually did win, and I would definitely recommend going to look up his court case. It's pretty interesting. There was also a movie made about him, I believe in the 90s, has Woody Harrelson in it. Um, It's The People vs. Larry Flint. Pretty decent movie. There's also another case from the late 80s that took place. I'm sure you've seen the parental advisory stickers on CDs, records, cassette tapes, digital music now. But that all started with an organization led by Tipper Gore, who was Al Gore's wife, or is Al Gore's wife, and it was the PMRC. Well, they believe that there should have been, or should, yeah, they believe that there should have been some sort of warning on content to be able to warn parents or people that there is something offensive about that content. The proposal by the PMRC made such a great case to the people who were in charge at the time that it did end up going through. And now today we have parental advisory stickers. I would also recommend going to look up this case. There are plenty of videos that you can find on the web from people who testified in front of Congress at the time. There was Frank Zappa, there was Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister, and plenty of others. Uh, John Denver, I believe, which when I first found that out, kind of shocked me. John Denver, of all people. It really came down to personal interpretation of the content that was consumed. I personally believe that it was a violation of free speech, but... If there needs to be a warning sticker, small sacrifice, I guess. I'm sure there's an argument to be made against it. I definitely believe that it's fairly ridiculous, but it is what it is. Bad argument, I know. There are so many cases, so many famous cases that you could look into regarding free speech and people standing up for it. George Carlin with his seven dirty words that you can't say on television and radio. Always a great one to look into. He won his case. Any case that Lenny Bruce was involved in, he directly helped free speech and prevented obscenity laws. And these are really just some of the ones that are most well-known. There are plenty more out there. I will definitely make sure and link to some media and further reading in the episode description regarding these cases and a couple of others that I have not mentioned. So what does this really all come down to? Well, hate speech and the idea of hate speech, in my opinion, comes down to a oversensitivity of others' opinions. Just because they are others' opinions doesn't mean that those opinions are right, doesn't mean that they're wrong, but If you get that upset at somebody and what they think or what they feel, that's a problem with you, 
not a problem with them. And what's really the solution? What's the logical solution, at least in your mind, if you believe in hate speech? Have the government regulate what people can say and what they can't say? Okay, well then, break down what you're actually saying. You are advocating for people who say something that you don't like, something that you view as hateful. I'll grant the fact that it very well might be something that is truly hateful. It might be a very terrible thing to say, very offensive, heinous, disgusting. But you are advocating for that person to be picked up by law enforcement. That means that they are either going to be dragged into court, having to pay a fine, or and or being taken to a cage, which no person outside of violent crimes should have to experience, especially for saying something, for using words. So if you are an advocate for hate speech laws, you are actually advocating for the imprisonment of somebody for saying words, for using words. So you got to ask yourself, are you okay with that? Are you okay with possibly ending someone's life through the power of government just because you are offended? Is that something that you are okay with, that you can have sit on your conscience guilt-free? I think that that is absolutely absurd to be able to want that or think that or be okay with that. But there is groups of people out there who are absolutely delusional. They are sick in the head. And as soon as I play this, you will understand what I mean. You cited a list of statistics in your talk, which you claim support the idea that illegal immigrants are dangerous or criminals. I'm, I'm, I cited a number of statistics that show that they commit federal crimes at a significantly higher rate than native-born Americans. Yeah. Okay. So what role do you think that structural racism and inherent bias has to play in those statistics? I don't think that the people who enter this country illegally are forced to do so by some sort of systemic racism. There's no systemic American racist going down to El Salvador and saying, you better get up and sneak into the United States. And there's nobody in the United States who forces people who come here illegally to commit crimes. I think the premise of this question is actually quite offensive, though it's a popular assumption, which is that illegal aliens somehow don't have free will. It's the assumption that illegal aliens are somehow morally uh, uneducated. They have no sense of right and wrong. They have no ability to control their, their emotions and their impulses. This is obviously profoundly racist and not true. We have free will. We have the ability to do what we want to do. This is why, by the way, the majority of Hispanic, uh, Hispanic people in the United States and Hispanic voters oppose illegal immigration. The, the races are exactly the same. The ethnicity is exactly the same. The question of, of crime is different because race does not determine your criminality. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that people of color are more likely to be convicted of crimes unfairly than the, white people. They're more likely to commit certain crimes. That's true. I don't think that's because of their race. I think it's because of aspects of their free will and perhaps of culture. That, that's not true. I'm talking about... That is true. I'm, I mean, what I just well, said is true. I'm not quite sure where you're getting your t statistics from, and you choose from to... From the federal government. Them. 
you choose to interpret them the in your Bureau of Justice Statistics can and I, Department of Homeland Security. Can I talk? Is that well, okay? you, you said you didn't know where I got my statistics from, and I'm telling you where I get them from. Well, it would have been nice if you could have let me finish my sentence. Anyway, you well, are I was, using... I was answering your question. You are using your statistics for your own agenda, and that's your I'm, I'm citing statistics because they're true. I'm talking about the fact that I'm, I'm faculty here. I also support our support, uh, um, protester in the back. What do you support specifically? Do you, do you think that anti-immigrant rhetoric is violent free speech? Well, yes, because of the you, reasons you think that, that I'm speech is violence. Uh, no, I think that that's the, what that sign says. The conversation that you're having is oppressive. It, um, and so I am oppressing people by what I'm doing. So I am I am exerting violence on people by my speech. That's what the sign says, and that's what you just said. It contributes to. And the protester is saying that's exactly what I'm doing, and she's saying that's exactly what her sign means. So that means that you, a faculty member at an American public university, paid for by taxpayer dollars, are conflating speech with violence. Yes. Um, speech can be violent. What you are saying contributes to systemic racism in this country. It means that my students of color are pulled over and accused of stealing a car when they did not. I'm not pulling anybody over for stealing I'm any cars. I, I see many did. people of many different races in this room. I, I, they all seem to be doing just fine. I don't think I, any, any of them have felt violence because they listened to a lecture on, on basic facts about our immigration system. The question was, have I asked people in this room if they've felt as though some violence has been committed on them? Uh, no, I haven't asked because no violence has been committed on you. Because violence is not a subjective feeling. Violence is an objective fact. I can objectively gauge whether or not someone has become violent. The other day, I was at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Some protester attacked me with some weird chemical. That was an objective act of violence. But somebody disagreeing with me, such as some people in this room are doing, are not committing violence on me. And I would say to you, as a faculty member at a taxpayer-funded university, this is the foundation of liberal education. If you cannot understand that there is a difference between speech and violence, you don't understand anything that undergirds the liberal arts or liberal education. And that is a real shame. And I say this with all respect and with great distress for our universities. If our teachers don't under understand the difference between ideas and violence, between speech and violence, then they are in no position to educate the next generation of Americans. I'll make sure and link to that in the episode description. So make sure to go check that out. Real, real interesting. However, the idea of speech being violence, it's this whole topic that I covered in the first episode of euphemisms, changing the meaning of words, which fundamentally changes the understanding of life as we know it. One of my absolute favorite parts of that was when Michael Knowles points out that not only is speech not violence, but him pointing out so eloquently that that violence is not a matter of opinion or feeling. Violence is objective fact. It's an action, a thing, whereas offense Although it might be a feeling, it is not objective fact. So anybody who honestly can believe that speech is violence, 
you're just wrong. It can be hateful, it can be offensive, you can not like it, it can upset you, but your feelings are not an argument. That is also no reason to be able to make a law and force society as a whole to follow a certain certain way of speaking, which when you control somebody's speaking, you are controlling their thinking. Ultimately, having laws in place for speech is controlling the way that people think, the way that they navigate through the future. I can't break it down any further than that. If you can't see an issue with that, then we're never going to meet eye to eye. I don't know what to say. Well, I'm going to wrap up here. This is not quite as long of an episode as I wanted it to be, but there's just a lot to cover with this. And we will be dipping back into free speech again. The whole reason I'm here is the ability to say things that people aren't going to want to hear, like to hear. I've said some things before and got called a Nazi. That was absolutely wonderful. Love that um, ability to just change the meaning of words and call people something so reprehensible. I, I just don't even know what to think about it. Obviously, my feelings didn't get hurt. In fact, I kind of felt like I was part of the club now, part of the club of all these people who are able to speak to people and send a message of truth, which is really hated nowadays by all the right people. There is definitely a war in this country, and it's a culture war. The culture war is taking place mainly with words, but because of this culture war, it has actually gotten me to want to speak out, which is exactly why I am here, exactly why this show exists in the first place. Now, there is a big difference between myself and the people that I envision fighting against, the people who actually are a proponent of hate hate speech laws. The difference between them and myself is that in their world, I can't exist. In my world, they can exist and I can exist. That's the biggest difference. And for some reason, I'm the Nazi or the bigot, the racist, white supremacist. I've been called all these things. Just ridiculous. And yet, I'm the terrible one that's trying to put people down, keep them down, but I'm not trying to stop them from doing anything except for one simple thing. Trying to make it so their ideas are forced upon me. I'm not voluntarily agreeing to the way that they want to live. They want me to be just like them. I don't want to be just like them. I don't want to live like them. I want to live like me. I want to think like me, talk like me, and they can't handle that. They want me to conform to what they want. Not going to happen. Definitely not going to happen. I wish them the best of luck. Things are definitely looking looking pretty rough. We definitely have a rough road ahead. If there's any hope of winning against these tyrants, and that's exactly what they are. They're tyrants. They are 
really hoping that we will give up and just bow down. And it's not going to happen. At least I'm not going to. Forcing people, especially forcing Americans to do something, is not the way to get things done. It's not the way to progress in society. Force, it only emboldens and deepens, confirms people's beliefs. Right now, there is a terrifying precedence ahead of the American people through forced medical procedures, which I'll be covering. You cannot like somebody's choice that they have made for themselves and or for their family. You have every right to feel a certain way about that. You have zero right to force somebody to do something. You have zero right to force your will upon somebody who is not voluntarily taking it. And this is what we'll be getting to on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to Rise to Liberty podcast. If you could do a huge favor and go rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening to this on, that helps the show so much more than you would ever imagine. Also, don't forget to click the Linktree link in the episode description. That will take you to everywhere that we are found on the internet. There's no updates at the end of this episode this week, but I will tell you that the new bonus episode will either be out this week or next week. Depends upon my time. However, I've got a lot to say about the Fed, fiat currency, and there's going to be some people probably won't like it, but I don't give a shit. So watch out for that. And until next week, stay free, my friends.